praise God. Please turn with me here this morning in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And this is part six in our series of the God of the Valleys. We've been looking at the various valleys of the Bible. Each one of them means something else and has a real message for us, the church, in the New Testament. And so we're going to move on to part six here to another valley. My message this morning is the valley of fruitfulness, or we could call it, which is by its name, the valley of Eshkol. But I've called this the valley of fruitfulness, and you're going to see why very shortly. Reading in Numbers chapter 13 from verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of the fathers shall ye send, a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men, were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben. And I'm going to jump down a bit. We won't mention all of their names just now. I've got a full message on all those men and their names, but it's for another time. Down to verse 16. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshua, the son of Nun, Yeshua, or as we know it, Joshua. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether they be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Sin unto Rehob. And when they come to Hamath, and they ascended, and I want you to notice this next verse very carefully. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Hamiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eshkol and cut down thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshkol because of the cluster of the grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Let's pray together. 
as we come to God's word here this morning. Father, we do love the word of God. Father, it's so real. You're a living God. You've saved us out of sin and transgression. Nor God, we were depraved, trying to ruin our lives. We are ruined by sin. We were out of our minds, but you saved us. You delivered us. You changed us. And my God, I pray even here this morning as a church and as individuals, show us that good land that you desire us to dwell in, that Christian life of victory, of fruitfulness, of blessing, of inheritance. Show us the Christian life that you desire to have. Show us what it means to live this Christian life. Lord God, we don't want to be those that are living in hypocrisy. We don't want those that are walking in the wilderness instead of possessing the mountains and the valleys. My God, we don't want to be those that do not believe the word of God, but we want to have a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to experience the power power of this salvation. Lord God, we want everything that this Bible says. We don't want to limit you or restrict you. We don't want to grieve you. We don't want to ignore your word. My God, even this morning, we want to mix faith with the word of God that we might be blessed in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, that you'd glorify Christ even in the hearing of the word this morning. Amen. My message is the valley of fruitfulness, and we're going to look at here in Numbers 13, is a literal, physical valley in the nation of Israel that's called the Valley of Eshkol. It's a real valley. You can go to it today. It's real. But more than that, it symbolizes or typifies or speaks to us about a real valley in the Christian life. And that's far more real than a valley in Israel. I actually believe this valley of fruitfulness and some things about this valley are going to shock you. You see, when you read about this valley, it's almost easy to be deceived about it. This valley is not what you think. It's not where you think. It's not what you think. You've got to be very careful of this valley. Because when you come to it spiritually, you come seeking something, thinking you're going to get something, but you're going to be surprised by this. I actually believe it's in God's will. We're gathered here this morning and we're dealing with something that's going to search your heart. You're not going to search this valley. It's going to search you and you're going to fully understand what I mean. Jesus in the New Testament says in John 15 verse 8, Herein, or in this thing, is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. It is God's will that you bear fruit. I mean Christian fruit. In other words, things are growing in your life, that you can be identified as a Christian. And more than that, he says, if much fruit grows in your life, the Father is glorified. God, the Father, who sent his son to die on the cross. If there's real fruit growing in your life, I mean real spiritual fruit, then you're glorifying the Father. But he also says, and this is the words of Christ, so shall ye be my disciples. Do you know what that means? If you're fruitless, 
If you have no Christian fruit in your life that can be identified, can be seen, you're not a disciple, not a real disciple, and you're not glorifying the Father in heaven. You see, a Christian looks like something. A Christian grows certain kinds of fruit. They can be identified. And that's why I believe this valley, I've called it the valley of fruitfulness. You see, valleys, as we have seen over these weeks, are often in the Old Testament low places, dark places, dreadful places, scary places. A valley is not somewhere you usually want to go. And very often in a valley, you will find things or persons you may not want to find. And so we as Christians, we want to live on the mountaintop. We want mountaintop experiences. I want to be in Carmel or I want to be in some other mountain where I can see everything, but there's very little growth in that mountain. Where is all of the growth? It's in the valleys. And so with this valley, you're going to see it is a valley of fruitfulness. Do you know, some Christians want to stay in the mountaintop. There is no growth there. Oh, it's wonderful. You need mountaintops. You need times where you can see everything at a distance, but you won't grow there. If all you had was blessing and high experiences and good experiences, you would not grow. You may think differently in your mind and heart. It's in the valley that the trials come and the dark times and the troubles and times where you can't even see where you're going. And sometimes you're confused or you face fear. Do you know that's where you grow? That's where real spiritual growth comes. You know why? Because you're going to prove that this God is real and alive. You see, I believe the Christian life is such. If this is not real, it's not worth living for. I would not waste my life on a lie. But I am persuaded this is reality. And you know what? I'll give my all to this. If it's worth being a Christian, it is worth giving everything. If it's not true and not worth giving your life for, then go do something else. I wouldn't waste my time on this. But this is reality. This is where truth is. Let me give the backdrop to Numbers chapter 13, where we are here with this valley of Eshkol. Israel had been delivered from Egypt two years before this. They had traveled through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. They had camped there for a period of time. Now they approach the land of promise. The journey has taken two years from they came out of Egypt. They saw God's miracles. They've seen Mount Sinai shake. The law of God is given. God has spoken them. Two-year journey to get to the land of promise. This is the land that for 400 years God has spoken about. He swear to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 400 years long saying, I have a land for you as an entire nation. It's a land of mountains and of valleys. It's a land of good things, of milk and honey. And I have planned it for you. It's going to be the place where you live. It is a glorious place. Oh, it's got valleys as well as mountains. And I want you to have it all. So here they are. They now, after all these generations and a two-year walk through the wilderness, they arrive at a place called Kadesh Barnea. It's at the very south of the land of Canaan or the land of promise. 
and they reach this place. And this place named called Kadesh Barnea. Names are very important in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is important. Nothing is wasted. What does Kadesh Barnea mean? The word Kadesh means holiness, sanctuary, or consecration. In other words, they had reached a point of holiness. Do you realize now they come to a place where this has got everything to do with your Christian life? See, you know the story how that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. But here's a two-year point. They're going to have another 38 years, but it's all decided here. And many Christians decide what they're going to do at Kadesh Barnea. God brings you a two-year journey. He gives you his word. He tells you things. He says, I've got a Christian life for you to live. I'm going to show you it. And you get to Kadesh Barnea. Now this is going to decide whether you've got a wilderness journey for two years or 40 years. That's how important this is. Either you're going to go in after two years walking in the wilderness, you're going to walk in to the land of promise and enjoy everything that God has promised, or you're going to draw back in, choose the wilderness, and you're going to walk in that wilderness for the next 38 years and die in that wilderness. You know, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of Christians at Kadesh Barnea, And from this place, they don't realize they've reached a place where they're going to start making lots of decisions that's going to affect them for the next 38 years. What they decide here, they'll never be able to change. It's going to set them in a direction. They will make choices that are going to affect their entire life. 38 years is an awful long time. And I watch people make decisions that's going to affect their entire life. You better be very careful of the decisions you make. See, God brings you to a certain place at a certain time. And what you do there is very vital. You better be slow, careful. You better listen to God. And so Kadesh Barnea, it's a place of holiness or consecration. The word Barnea means wilderness or wanderings. So you've reached a place at the edge of the wilderness. And it's holiness. Now you're going to have a work of holiness. Are you just going to be a casual, compromised disciple in name only? Are you going to walk with this God? Are you going to obey his word? And so here they are at Kadesh Barnea on the border of Edom and Canaan. The wilderness is behind them. They can leave it behind. They can enter into a land that's always been promised to them. But they've got another journey to make. Twelve spies are chosen out of the people. And these twelve spies are going to go and search the land and then bring back a report to the entire people. One man is chosen from each of the twelve tribes. And those twelve men are sent together to search the land. This is where our story kicks in. And this is where I want to take you here this morning. I want to take you because from Kadesh Barnea to the Valley of Eshkol is a distance of about 100 kilometers or about 60 miles. See, they don't realize these 12 spies, they're heading for a valley. They're going to a valley. 
And that valley is going to decide their fate. Everything about that valley. They're heading into a valley. And within that valley, everything's going to happen that is going to decide, are you going to spend 38 years in the wilderness? Are you going to spend the rest of your days walking in what God has promised you? That's how important this valley is. And I've called it the valley of fruitfulness. Let me show you this valley. In Numbers 13, where we've read here in verse 23, it says about these 12 spies, and they ascended by the south. This is the first thing I want you to notice about this valley. You know, all the valleys we've dealt with, you have to go down, you descend. What does it say about this valley? They ascended. Who ever heard about going up to get in a valley? But this valley you do. See what I mean? This valley isn't like other valleys. There, if you're not careful, you could be deceived about this valley. Here's the 12 spies and they're ascending up by the south. And they came to Hebron. Hebron is a city, but it's also a mountain. It's a very strategic city. So here they are heading up from the south up to Hebron, they are ascending up a hillside. They're up mountainous ground. Guess where they're going? They're going to a valley. A valley. But you have to go up to get to it. And that valley is very important. It is very close to Hebron. And it says in the next verse, 23, and they came onto the brook of Eshkol. This word brook, again, is just, is very important here. It is an actual brick. There's five different words for valley in the Old Testament, and we've looked at some of them. This is one of them, brick. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy 1.24, it speaks about the valley of Eshkol. And again, in Numbers 32, verse 9, it talks about the valley of Eshkol. It's the same word, a brick or a valley. So what you have here is the valley or brook of Eshkol. Now this isn't a wide valley, a large valley. It's not. It's a very narrow. What, what is a brook? It's where a river flows during the wintertime. This is summertime when they're walking through this. They're ascending up to a valley. During the winter, a river would flow here, but there's no river because it's summertime. You've got a dried up riverbed. That is the actual valley. And these 12 men are being led there by the Spirit of God. Do you know why? God is going to make sure the entire nation decides some things in this valley because of this valley. So they have traveled 100 kilometers. They are ascending up Hebron, which is one of the highest areas in the land of Israel. They're ascending up a great height. They go past Hebron, and they find the brook of Eshkol. What a wonderful thing. And so you see, this is a very strange valley. You need to ascend to get down into it. You have to go up. You have to climb a mountain. If you're going to go up into this valley, it's a modern day uh, wadi of what they have many of in, in Israel. It's not large. It's not wide. It's not deep, but it's a valley. And it's going to perform a purpose in the will and the plan of God. Who ever heard of going up 
a mountain to get into a valley. Do you know what these 12 spies thought? They're going to the mountaintop. Listen to me carefully. They thought they were going to have a mountaintop experience at Hebron. And we love mountaintop experiences. I'm going to Hebron. Do you know what the name Hebron actually means? It means a place of association, of fellowship, of companionship or friendship. Hebron is the symbol of a covenant with God, covenant relationship with other people who are friends with God. That's what Hebron represents. They think they're going to Hebron. Here's friendship, real covenant friendship. What an ecstatic experience. I want to go to Hebron. I want to see the land of promise. And so God is bringing them up Hebron. Do you want to know what real covenant with God is? Do you want to know what real fellowship with other Christians are? Do you want to go to the heights of Hebron? This is later where David trains his men before he becomes king of the entire nation. You know what he had them? He had that army of his. He trained them here. They ran up and down Hebron. This is where they got fit and healthy. It was easy to go into Jerusalem after you'd been at Hebron. Hebron is a great height. But here's the 12 spies. Here they are at Hebron. This word Hebron also means to join tightly together, to be colleagues together, to be teamed up together, bound together by a common bond or to dwell together in a place of covenant friendship with God. It's a remarkable place. But the 12 spies don't stop there. They keep going past Hebron and they find this valley. This isn't going to be a mountaintop experience. God brought you here, but you're going into a valley called Eshkol. Eshkol. The name Eshkol is remarkable and was given in ancient days. I want you to know something else here. It says this is only the beginning of their journey. They spend 40 days spying out the land. They're going to go from the bottom of the country to the top of the country. They're going to traverse the whole distance. I believe it's something like um, 300 kilometers one way. Then you're going to turn around and 300 kilometers back again, walking through the entire land, searching it, looking, seeing everything in the land. Do you know what this land represents? The victorious Christian life, the real Christian life that God has planned for you. It is a land of fruitfulness, a land of good things. This represents, what does it mean to the church? It represents the real Christian life God talks about. Do you know how many in the church get to Kadesh Barnea, then come to the valley of Eshkol? And you know what? God speaks to them what the Christian life is. And they go, no, I I just want to casually be a Christian. I don't need to be dedicated. I don't need to be committed. All these mountains and valleys. Surely there's another way to live your Christian life. Yes, if you don't believe God's word. If you make up your own Christianity, yes. But this is the Christian life. But that Christian life is filled with giants, with enemies, with walled cities. There's ups and downs. It takes great courage. You mustn't be scared. And who wouldn't be in this environment? The land is filled with enemies. Do you realize every Christian, every church, every preacher, and remember there are 12 spies, they're leaders. Every preacher 
gets brought to this valley, you're going to make a decision about the entire Christian life. We're told they search for 40 days and they are spying out the land. You see, they think they're searching the land. Actually, the land is searching them. Do you hear me this morning? God is giving them an opportunity to see what the Christian life can be like. God does the same with you and I. You're going to make a decision. And there's four things I'm going to deal with here this morning about decisions that are made at the Valley of Eshkol. You're going to have to make four decisions. You're going to have to choose. See, when you begin to look at the Christian life with its battles, its trials, its troubles, but its blessings, its mountaintop, you can't have one without the other. The Christian life is a glorious life. It's what God has promised. It's got mountains and it's got valleys. But it's got a lot of enemies, a lot of trials. Some people say, I don't want that. This isn't what I signed up for. Some spies, preachers say it's all blessing. You don't suffer in this Christian life. They tell lies. How dangerous. See, you may think that you are spying out the land, that you are spying, making judgments about it. But actually, that's not true. The land, this teaching of the Christian life in the Bible, it's going to search out your heart. You're going to read it. You're going to hear about it. And it's going to search and reveal what's in your heart. You're actually going to say, amen, or I don't want that. See, it's searching your heart. But your heart is being opened and revealed. You think you will return after these 40 days with a report about it to tell everyone else. But no, no. Actually, at the end of these 40 days, it will make a full report about the motives of your heart, the desires of your heart. It's going to reveal everything. Remember what was said about the Bible. It's the only book that you don't read. It reads you. Every time you pick it up, every time I preach from it, it's reading you. You don't read it. You don't judge the Bible. The Bible judges you. It shows you what you really are and where you are. And sometimes we don't like to see that. I don't. As I've read the Word of God, I've found things in my heart I wished weren't there. But the Word of God opens it up, reveals it, and that's a good thing. That's when we begin to pray and say, oh God, help me, have mercy, deal with me, remove this. I don't want this here. That's what we begin to do. They are now a stone's throw, the entire nation, a stone's throw from an entire land of provision and a promise that's been promised for 400 years. And you know what's so sad? They make decisions at this time that's going to lead to the death of everyone 20 years and older over the next 38 years. They are going to reject a picture and a type of the Christian life. And instead, they're going to choose a wilderness. And they're going to walk for 38 years in an experience. They're still followers of God. Miracles still happen. God still provides for them. But they're in a wilderness. They never enter into God's plan. You do not want to make decisions 
that remove you from ever fulfilling God's will. And yet you still go to church and you still talk about Jesus and you still have a belief in him and you still pray your little prayers when you get in trouble, but you're walking in a wilderness and you'll never fulfill God's plan for your life. That's how important this is. You see, it's a remarkable valley. It's by a mountaintop experience. You have to go up the mountain to get into the valley. But here's the four things I want to give you here this morning. Four choices you're going to have to make at the Brook Eshkol that's going to have wide impacts upon everyone. The first thing is you're going to have to choose between fruitfulness and barrenness in your Christian life. And we as a church will have to do the same. You at Eshkol at this valley... Your thought process, your desires, your motives, your words, you are going to make a decision about this valley. What did they find in the valley? They found fruit. So I'm saying you're going to make a choice between fruitfulness or barrenness. Barrenness means no fruit in your life. In chapter 13, verse 23, and it says that there in that valley of Eshkol, that these 12 men cut down from thence a branch, just one branch, with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it on a staff between two of them. And they brought also pomegranates and figs. The grapes grown in this valley that represented the entire land. Remember, they didn't bring fruit from anywhere else in the entire land. They, they walked all that distance through the land, all the way back. Where did they bring fruit from? The valley of Eshkol. It is filled with fruit. The best fruit is in the land, is here in this valley. Right in this valley is the greatest fruit of all. These large grapes, it took two of these large men to carry it on a staff, just one branch. Can you imagine that? Brother Jair's never grown grapes like that. I'm attempting to. I'm going to try this summer. I'm going to work hard on it. But I assure you, no one has ever seen grapes like came out of this. You know what grapes represent in the Bible? They represent the joy of the Lord, the provision and blessing of God. That's what grapes represent, a fullness of joy. Here they are in this valley. They are seeing remarkable fruit. In fact, this fruit that they're seeing is a testimony. It's a sign. It's a symbol of all the blessings of the entire land. They're going to make a decision here. Do you want all of the blessings of the land? Do you want all of the provisions? I've talked to you for 400 years about this. Do you want this? Do you want a fruitful Christian life? Oh, I know there's battles. I know you've got to fight sin. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know the dark trials you're going to go through. I know that. I know the demons of hell you're going to face. But saints of God, let's get your priorities right. Do you want a fruitful Christian life? See, God has shown them and saying, this can be yours. You can have extraordinary fruit in your Christian life. You can have abnormally good. See, this is God's blessing. It's not normal. It's not natural joy. Some Christians in the church, they're just okay. They're happy. That's not the joy of the Lord. Oh, I'm, I'm okay as, every, as long as everything is okay in my life. I want to tell you of a joy. When everything goes wrong, you can have the joy of the Lord. Abundant, full, free, real. 
There's an abundance of God's blessing. It is the fruit of God in your life. It's dynamic. It's really remarkable. Surely this is a land that flows with milk and honey. And here is evidence. It flows. God always said this about the land. It flows with milk and honey. It flows. It's filled with all the benefits. And he didn't only give them grapes. They actually took pomegranates as well. And if you know about pomegranates in the Bible, it's a symbol of love. And then there's figs. They took all of these things back. You're going to make a choice at Eshkol. Fruitfulness or barrenness. Do you know they walked a hundred Ks back to their people at Kadesh Barnea? Everyone's at Kadesh Barnea. Now these 12 men, they're carrying the fruit with them. They're bearing it. They bring it in their hands. Remarkable fruit they're carrying. And here they are. They come back to the people. They've got the fruit in their hands. They show them the fruit. You know what? Ten of them chose barrenness. Two of them chose fruitfulness. Caleb and Joshua said, we want the fruit. Let's go in and get it. This is ours. God will give it to us. God wants you to have a fruitful life, a joy-filled life, a love-filled life. He wants the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He really wants that. There's a glorious life. But there's ten leaders, ten men who so depreciate the fruitfulness that the people make a decision. You know what? They're going to choose barrenness. They're going to choose barrenness. Be careful about coming to this valley of Eshkol. I want to warn you, when you come to this valley, you are going to make a decision in your heart. Do you want to be a fruitful Christian or a barren Christian? And of course, you know, there is no barren Christians. Oh, there's lots of people who call themselves Christians, who sit in the church, who are in pulpits all over our world. They are barren. There's no fruit. You know why? They're not in the land. They're not fighting the enemy. They're not in the hills and valleys. They're walking in a wilderness. They're utterly barren. Oh, but we have miracles. You know, out there in the wilderness, they said, but my shoes don't wear out. My clothes don't wear out. Look at the pillar of fire. Manna falls for a state. Isn't this wonderful? You're barren. Do you know I've met people in this city and they've told me they're sinners. But they like to call themselves Christians. They live like a sinner. Speak like a sinner. What do we say about a duck? If you walk like a duck, quack like a duck. You're a duck. It's not hard. Just go to the zoo for a day or the farm. We've got a lot of lessons to learn. A Christian who does not speak like a Christian, act like a Christian, make decisions like a Christian, they aren't a Christian. How simple can you get? A fruitless Christian is not a Christian. Where's the fruit in your life? People can walk in the wilderness, say, oh, I pray God provides for me. God done miracles. Why aren't you living like a Christian? Oh, God answers my prayers. He done this and he done, I've heard it. And yet you go, but why aren't you living as a Christian? So God's there for you to do. So he does miracles for you, but you, you're not living for him. You're not in the land. You don't want to even be in the land fighting enemies. 
Because you know what? To have fruitfulness in your life means you're going to be in the mountains, in the valleys, fighting the enemies. It's going to mean a, a life of warfare. So that's the first thing, is fruitfulness or barrenness. Do you remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, 5? And it says, giving all diligence. Isn't that hard for a Christian? Giving diligence. But I don't want to do that. I want to be lazy. Then you'll be barren. You'll be really barren. You're going to live in a wilderness. But I want to be a Christian, but not fight enemies or sin or giants. I didn't sign up for this. Then you will die in a wilderness. You'll be fruitless. But Peter in the New Testament says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity for, and listen to this carefully, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Someone who is not growing, moving forward, bearing fruit, maturing, something's gone wrong with you. I mean, something is wrong. If you did have the real, then you've forgotten that you've been forgiven of your sins. Because when you know and are conscious that your sins have been forgiven, you say, oh God, I want to grow. I want to glorify you. I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to stay at the door where I got in. I really want to move on. But you know what? If these things are not in you and abounding and growing, you know what? You're a barren person. You're unfruitful. There's no fruit in you. If these things from 2 Peter and chapter one are not in you and they're not abounding and you're not moving forward. You're a barren Christian. You have forgotten that you've been forgiven. But they all weren't barren, were they? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb's a remarkable man. One of my favorite in the Bible. I, I used to preach on him once every year when I started preaching. I had a message and I went, in the church in Scotland, I wouldn't let a year go by without preaching on Caleb. He was one of my heroes. Caleb's a remarkable man. Do you know what? From this time, Israel goes back into that wilderness. 45 years later, you don't hear of Caleb speaking all during the wilderness. Not one word, not one sentence. He says a lot here in this chapter. Oh, he speaks up. He says, let's go in. Look at the fruit. We touched it. We have it here. Let's go in. Do you know what his name means? It means dogged. See a dog that's dogged when it grabs a hold of something. It will not let go. I know what it's like with Shiloh. And you can wrestle. It's determined. That's what being dogged means. That's what Caleb is. He's a dogged man. A dog with a bone. I ain't letting go of this. You know, 45 years later, he's silent for 45 years in the Bible. Then suddenly he pops up after this chapter. And the first time we hear him speak again, 45 years later, do you know what he's saying? Give me this mountain. What mountain? Hebron. Hebron, where the valley of Eshkar is. Sorry, Eshkol is. Caleb was a fruitful man. And he said, do you know what? All these years I have lived for this. Oh, Joshua, 
Give me Hebron, where Eshcol is. That's the first thing. You're going to make a decision. Second of all, encouragement or discouragement. Look at verse, in fact, Numbers 32, verse 9. This is what it says. You don't need to turn there. And when they went up into the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they, the ten spies, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So at Eshcol, you're going to make a decision. Are you going to be encouraged or discouraged with what you see? From here, you see the entire land. From here, you see the enemies, the troubles, the trials, the temptations, what it's going to cost you, what the Christian life means. You're going to know this at Eshcol. You're going to make a decision. Are you going to get discouraged at this point and say, it's not worth it, I can't do this? Or at this point, you're going to say, wow, it's for me. This is the Christian life. Saints, it's not hard to live the Christian life. It's not hard. It's impossible. Utterly impossible. None of us can do this. All 10 spies. You know the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who says, let's go up. Do you know what? They looked at him and went, I can't kill giants. I can't defeat these armies. I can't take these valleys from the enemy. But I do know a God. If he said it, if he's talked to us for 400 years about this land, these valleys, these hills, and if God delights in us, won't he give us this? Won't he give it all to us? What, do you think I can do this? You think Keith Malcolmson's a better Christian than you? You rethink? You think I've got more courage or more power or more ability? You, you're really wrong. I'm the weakest, most frail, most scared. Sorry to blow my cover here, but that's who I am innately. Innately, that's who I am. But I do know something about this story. I know the key is God has said it. God is well able. I'm not able to do this. I can't even live this Christian life. But you know what? I do love Jesus who died for me on the cross. I do know the powers with him. I do know having started a good work, he will finish it. Isn't it too daunting for any of us? You see, at Eshcol, either your heart's going to go down discouraged and say, it's impossible to live the Christian life. I can't do this. Therefore, I'm going to go out into a wilderness, fruitless Christian life, walking in circles for the next 38 years. Do you know what discouragement does in the Christian life? You get discouraged over sin, discouraged over temptation, discouraged over failure, discouraged about the teaching of the Bible. So you say, it's not for me. You made a big mistake. Usually the people who make those decisions are stronger than the rest of us. It's not the weak ones fall off and the strong ones go through. Do you realize that? It's actually the weak ones usually go, God, I can't do this. Will you help me? I really need your help. I, I'm, I'm going to get very discouraged. You see, what it says here, they saw the land and they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. These are leaders, preachers. Ten of the spies went back to Kadesh Barnea and it, it says here, God says that they discouraged the heart of the people. 
Oh, how dangerous. I have seen it happen. I've seen mature Christians say, well, you know, we don't need to live like that. Well, you don't need to be radical. Well, we don't need to be extremists, do we? Do you know what you are? You're one of the 10 spies. Do you realize that's one of the things that happens at Eshkol? Not only is your own heart either discouraged or encouraged, you're going to become either a discourager or an encourager of God's people. Either you're going to say, there is a good land. There's a Christian life of victory. What, do you work, walk perfectly? No, but I, I, I intend to, I want to, I desire. Are you as fruitful as you ought to be? Oh, no. Oh, no. I know where I failed along the way, but I'm telling you, I know this land is for us. I know, oh, there's going to be hard battles. Few of those battles we may lose along the way, but this land is for us. This word discouraged means to refuse, dissuade, or neutralize. Ten spies done that with all the people. They discouraged them, they dissuade them. You don't want to go up to this land, you don't want to live a Christian life like this. It's impossible. We can't do this. Hold on, we're all sinners. So just let your flesh hang out. You don't need to crucify. You know, like it says in Galatians about they that belong to the Lord, crucify the flesh, crucify the old man with all of its lust. That can't be real. God doesn't expect that of us. Let your flesh hang out. Be what you're going to be. Believe anything. They discourage. You know what discouragement here really means? They talk the people out of a real Christian life a radical mountaintop and valley Christianity. You don't need to worry about that. Let's go back into the wilderness. Let's go back where we were. Let's go back to Egypt. What a serious thing. You know, the word discouragement often in the Bible means to dishearten you, to take the heart out of you. You lose the heart. Third of all, an evil report or a good report at Eshkol, you're either going to find yourself given a good report of the land or an evil report. And that's going to decide your whole future. This is going to affect your life, your children's life, your family, your loved ones and the church. What does that really mean? It means misrepresenting the Christian life. You've searched out the land. You've walked up and down 400 kilometers there and back again and you've been in the valley of Eshkol and you come back and you misrepresent the land. You have the fruit in your hand. You've seen everything. You say, oh yes, it's exactly what God says. The Bible says that. The Bible's very clear. But, remember what a goat does? But, that's how you identify a goat from a sheep. They're not the same. Oh yes, God says that, but... Do you know goats get divided from sheep? They're not the same animal. It says here in Numbers 13, 28, Nevertheless, the ten spies have just said, Yes, it's true. Here's the fruit. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Nevertheless. We've got a few things to tell you about the giants. Need to tell you some of the things that are going on here. It is so serious. Nevertheless, look what it 
says in the next chapter in verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land, an evil report. They give the facts. They say this is the land God promised, but then they bring an evil report. Be careful of preachers who change the message. Yes, the Bible says this, but God understands. God won't send you to hell for drunkenness, will he not? What You want to change the Bible. You're disagreeing with God. Oh, sure, we're all sinners. You're on dangerous ground. You may have thoughts, keep it to yourself. Don't affect anyone else. See, God got very angry with these people in changing things. They brought up an evil report of the land. It means to defame it or slander it. Do you know, if you slander me, I could take you to a court of law in this city if law was functioning properly. If you told lies about me and damaged my reputation so that people would say, Malcolmson, don't go near him. Stay away from him. I could take you to court because you have damaged me. People won't even come near me because of what you've said. Do you realize these 10 spies done that with the land? They brought an evil report. They defamed. They blackened it. They painted a bad picture. They began to give details and enlarge them. They so blackened the land. The entire nation didn't want to go into the land. Said, we're not going near that land. How dangerous. How dangerous when we in the church begin to change the gospel. It's a good land. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's heartbreaking things that come up. Yes, there's temptations. You know, the Bible talks about the sorrow you go through when you're tempted. Being tempted with sin isn't easy. It's not easy. Your heart can actually get sad through being tempted. You know, never have we had a young generation in this world. They're going off their minds. Their medication. This generation with their minds. Not one or two. You're talking about a, a generation. It's widespread. You know, we produce, we put things into this generation where, where the, the average kid is under such pressure and turmoil. Never should have been that way. But here you have these spies bringing a bad report, an evil report, speaking bad about what God has actually said. And it says in chapter 14, 31, the land which you have despised, the entire people despised it. It gets black and go, I don't want that Christian life. There's got to be an easier way. I'll take the broad way to heaven, not the narrow way. People, you know, they blacken the real gospel. They're very narrow, legalistic. Be careful. What did Jesus say this way was? Narrow is the gateway into this. Narrow is the path. Few there are who find it. Broad is the way. That's a kind of Christianity. It's broad. The gate is broad. Everyone can get in there. It's a broad way. Everyone is walking out, but then it's destruction. I don't want to be deceived with that. I want a real Christianity. I want a good report. See, it says the land which they despise. That means to throw it away or to refuse it. You know what they start doing? Was talking about the giants. Do you know how tall these enemies are? Do you know how much stronger they are than us? They actually go further and they said, do you know this is a land that eats up its inhabitants? 
If you live in this land, the land will eat you up. It'll destroy you. See the Christian life they're talking about. You know, the Bible Christian life, the normal Christian life Jesus talked about. If, if you try to live that, it's going to destroy you. You'll probably go crazy. Hold on. That world out there is going crazy. Well, you have to be careful, don't you? You could be so spiritually minded, heavenly minded, you have no earthly good. I've never met the person in my entire life. I haven't, I've searched all over this world, still looking for them. Do you know what? The most spiritual are the most practical and they have their feet on the ground. See the ones that are carnally minded, they're loopy, they're loopy, they're impractical. They're no help to man or dog. They're useless. Here they are. They they also actually say, here, listen to us. We were in their sight as grasshoppers. How do you know that? Well, so you can get inside. You didn't talk to the giants, but you're putting yourself in their mind and saying, we look like grasshoppers. How do you know that? And so we were in their sight. Do you realize you can go into the land and you're magnifying the chance, magnifying the cities? Listen again. Here's another statement. This classic. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. (laughs) What? Are you exaggerating? No. You don't want to go near this kind of Christianity. I'm telling you, fourth and lastly, I want to finish on this. Warfare or wilderness. You're actually going to decide at Eshkol, in the valley of fruitfulness, whether the next years are going to be one of warfare or wilderness. See, the Christian life is a warfare. We're here only for a short time. Some people say, I don't want to fight. Well, fine. But the Christian life is a fight. It's a war. We're in a hostile environment. The politics of this world, the education, the media, I'm going to tell you they're no friend of Christ. They're not. They are set against the person of Christ. It's intensified drastically in my lifetime. There was a time In my lifetime, where all the sinners around you respected you if you're a born-again Christian. They highly regarded you, respected your convictions, would never mock you, never even argue with you. They respected. In fact, most of the time, they usually said, oh, we believe, but I can't live like that. It's not for me. But that's all changed now. It is a tremendous warfare. So at Eshkol, you're going to decide right here, right now, whether you're going to go into the land with all the blessings, all the fruitfulness, all the promises, and God is there with you. But it is a war. I want to warn you. At Eshkol, you're making a decision. I'm going to have a sword in my hand for the rest of my life. Some people, that really discourages them and say, I'm not in for this. It doesn't discourage me. So I get tired in the fight, not of the fight. I'm not a fighter by nature. I love to live at peace. I I love, 
I love that we've got peace here. I love we've got the joy of God here. I love it that we're helping one another. We're not fighting over doctrine or foolish things. We're trying to help one another. But I want to tell you, in this world, we're a, it's a fight. Remember what the Bible says? God has chosen you. Jesus Christ has chosen you to be a good soldier. A good soldier. You need to put on the armor and fight. The sword of the spirit needs to be in your hand. You are going to encounter enemies, but this is the real Christian life. It is a place of great blessing. But unless you're willing to fight, you're not going to experience the blessing of God. There is great blessing in the Christian life. It's a wonderful Christian life to fight the enemies of Jesus Christ. What's the other option? The warfare going into the land where you can draw back like they did. The other option is the wilderness. See, in the wilderness, they didn't fight one battle. Not one single battle for the next 38 years. Do you know what? They didn't see one single enemy for the next 38 years. Not one. Apart from the one Brother Soap mentioned a few weeks ago. The greatest enemy, Israel's greatest enemy, it's you. That's the only enemy they encountered, but no enemy. They didn't have to lift a sword or a shield or fight or get in battle array. None of them died in battle. The wilderness. Some Christians, see, some Christians think, I'm not willing to pay the price for the Christian life. So I'll just go back into the wilderness. You're going to pay a bigger price than any of us. It's just you don't realize it. You say, I'm not willing to pay the price of the warfare. Then you'll pay the price of the wilderness. Remember Jonah? He's running from God. God told him, go to Nineveh. Uh-uh. I don't want to go preach to the Ninevites. You might save them. You might send a revival. God help us. They're pagans. So what did he do? He paid a price to go down into a boat in Joppa. He went down into a boat. He paid a price to run away from God. Here's the fare. Here's the money. I don't want to pay the price to go to Nineveh. Then you'll pay a price to go down into the boat. And he fell asleep. Then he goes down into the belly of the whale. Do you realize all of us in this room, hearing my voice right now, all of you are going to pay a price, a serious price. All of you are going to pay a very costly price. But is it going to be for a warfare fight in God's battle? Are you going to go back into the wilderness? See, the people, when they heard the evil report, their hearts were discouraged. They made a decision. Let's go back. In fact, let's appoint a new leader. Stone Moses, get rid of Joshua and Caleb. They're just mouthpieces. Let's go back. In fact, it was better in Egypt. Are you kidding me? Rather than fight the enemy's chance in the land. You actually want to go back to Egypt? You want to go back to the world? Hey, young ladies, you, you want to get married to some drunkard who tricks you into marriage and he's very smart, very nice. And within six months, you'll find out what you've married. I know what I'm talking about. You, you want to go out into this world? You want to go back to Egypt? Because you say, I don't want to fight the Christian life. I can give you a thousand things here. 
of what this is like. See, there's a real warfare. Do you know what Joshua and Caleb said? It's an exceeding good land. It's an exceeding good land. I mean, can you hear the voice of Joshua and Caleb? They walked in the same land. They saw the same giants. They seen all the enemies. But they said, listen, guys, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Don't rebel against him. If you draw back, you're in rebellion against God. You can't live a compromised wilderness, fruitless life, and yet be right with God. You cannot be. You can't walk 38 years in a wilderness and think you're right with God. Oh yeah, maybe your children that come out of your home, they'll go in and possess the land, but you won't. You won't fulfill God's will. I don't want to miss God's plan for my life. And he says, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. You're saying the land laid us up. No way. These chants will be bread. Do you remember what David done? A 17-year-old boy with a slingshot, and he runs at the greatest chant of his generation. This is reality. This is for you and I, saints of God. You've got a choice here this morning as we close. Are you going to pull back into a wilderness Christianity, not going anywhere for 38 years? Do you want a Christian life like that? Or do you actually want to, you might be trembling in your boots, but you say, oh God, help me. I'm going to go into the land. You know what you're going to have is an exciting testimony. Oh, there's trials, enemies, troubles, walls, cities. But I promise you, you will never die of boredom in this Christian life. I have never, ever had a problem with boredom. It's never been one of my issues. Never, not for a day. It's far too exciting, this Christian life. It's not easy. Sometimes I think I'm going to faint along the way. Sometimes my my hand grows tired holding the sword. But boy, do I have stories to tell you of the valleys we've walked through the mountaintops we've been in, those areas of the land of Israel where we fought the enemies of God. It has been an amazing walk. I want to tell you that. My heart is broken until you know that, the trials I've gone through. I'm a broken man. But I want to tell you, I am fruitful. I have the grapes. I'm carrying it. And you know what? It's the joy of the Lord It's a fruitful Christian life. Will you stand with me here this morning? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we bless you. Saints of God, just as your eyes are closed, as we stand here, as we close this gathering, just for a moment, as Brother Soph leads us, deal with God. Have a dealing with God in this place. Do not move. Don't don't move from this spot or this time until you make a decision. Whatever has been going on in your life, whatever is going on with your heart this morning, how is God speaking to you right now? What is he saying to you right now? What you decide even right here now at this time could affect you for the next 38 years. It could affect the whole direction of your life. 
Saints of God, none of us are naturally courageous. There are many fears in our hearts about our own ability. But I want to tell you, this great God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you. And this is a wonderful Christian life. It is a glorious Christian experience to walk with God. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's temptations. There's things that are too big for us, too hard for us. But I want to tell you, when God walks with you, you can walk through every single valley. You can face every single jam. You can have the joy of the Lord within your heart, though you're walking through a dark valley, even here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah.